I'm Nathan, one of the pastors here. I'm the guy that if we were doing archery, it would be very difficult to hit, all right? I just want to let you know that because, you know, Shabu actually has a target on his back, so it's easier. Uh, yeah. And I guess uh, you've learned something today as well, haven't you? Um, you never knew Mel Gibson was part of our congregation. Yeah, I'm sure you thought Luke Spark looked like Braveheart. I'm sure you did. All you had to have was freedom, and we'll be on our way. Hey, it's my privilege this morning to open up God's Word and uh, challenge you on this Father's Day. And I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you from the, the book of Hebrews. Uh-oh, I just dropped some water. Okay. I'm looking forward to ch- um, just uh, sharing with you from the book of Hebrews this morning. Living as a Christian in today's ever-increasing secular world is not easy. I think you would affirm that, wouldn't you? To live as a Christian in today's world, which is increasingly secular, increasingly moving away from biblical truth, is not an easy proposition. Just this last week, I I faced this reality with some friends of mine. Let me explain this to you. You see, on a weekly basis, I continue uh, to play competitive volleyball. Some of you might find that quite disturbing, but I give it a go. My motives now are are different to what they were 10 years ago, because 10 years ago, I used to be able to jump. Uh, So my motives now are, are less competitive, and I'm just there to enjoy playing the game. And also, one of my motives is, uh, as a pastor, it's, you know, normally your your major place of work is your major place of evangelism. And John and Shabu just get sick of me trying to evangelize them. So I take the opportunity um, intentionally to to force myself to play an hour's volleyball with some pretty unregenerate Aussie blokes. And uh, I enjoy that. Because it's an opportunity for me to to interact on a a weekly basis with some guys who are sold to the earth. Anyway, this week after a a narrow loss in the semi-final, yes, we made it to the semi-final. We lost 16-14 in the fifth set. A bitter pill to swallow. We decided as a team to go and console ourselves. So what does a volleyball team do to console themselves? No, we eat pizza. We eat pizza. We think that's the best way of consoling yourself. Food is good for consolation. So we all, all off went down to the, the local um, pizza joint. And it was interesting. The, during the meal, the, the conversation, surprisingly to me, turned to the rights and wrongs of gay marriage. So, you know, I have a choice, don't I? Uh, in that situation as a as a known pastor to those men, I have a choice at that point in particular time whether I'm going to stick up for what I believe is true or whether I'm just going to let it go through to the keeper. Uh, So what do you think I chose? Being the sort of unforthright type of guy that I am. Well, you know, opinions were after all being freely expressed and... uh, 
I thought, well, the moment has come. I have this opportunity to share some biblical truth about this issue. We'd just been taught about it the Sunday before. Uh, And as I started sharing this, um, I can assure you uh, my opinion was received very, very well. Very, very well. So it's my observation from that particular story. It's whether you're a pastor or a student or one who spends the majority of your working week uh, amongst the soul of the earth, secular Australians or multicultural folks that we have in our country. It's incredibly easy to become discouraged when you stand for Christ. Incredibly easy to become discouraged. So therefore the question that we're going to consider this morning is how do you live, how do I live as a Christian when you're discouraged, disillusioned, and battled by the constant mockery to your faith. Because I'm sure we all face that, don't we? People mock us because we stand for Christ. How do you live when you see the wicked prosper and yet your life is a constant struggle? How do you continue to fight the good fight of faith? And this is where this book of Hebrews is a wonderful example to us. So please stand with me and we're going to read just one sentence from the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. So stand with me, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, please come and help yourself. There's one down the front here. Um, It would be wonderful to grab one of those as we go through today. So let's read together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. You may be seated. This book of Hebrews is a wonderful book because the the theme throughout the book could be described as this, press on to maturity, press on to maturity rather than fall back in disobedience or through a lack of faith. There's over 96 verses in this particular letter or sermon that talk about not looking back, but pressing on and looking forward. And today's three verses reflect that. As you look through that, what do you think the key phrase, the the key point is that the author is trying to communicate well I believe the key phrase and key concept is this through endurance run the race that is set before you as a Christian 
through endurance, continue to run the race that God has set before you. This particular phrase um, represents an ongoing activity. We're all involved in life. We all are put on this earth for a purpose. And the author is just here, is just reflecting. Continue to run that race of life. Continue to run with endurance. You see, to endure something, you, you have the capacity to, to hold up, to bear up in the, in the face of difficulty. That's at the heart of endurance. We all face difficult situations. We all face crises of faith. We all face difficult people. May it be family members, may it be work members, may it be extended members of the family. The scripture tells us to endure those things. To hold up and bear up under the face of those difficulties. To have other words are a patience to have fortitude. That's, a, that's an old-fashioned word. You hear the British talk about the fortitude of the British. You know? Standing up in the face of adversity. And if you go back to the Second World War, you can see that as a nation. We will fight them on the beaches. The famous speeches. We will not surrender. We will never surrender. That is fortitude in the face of difficulty. Other words that could be used to describe endurance would be perseverance. Or even steadfastness. So in the context of what is going on in this particular three verses, we have endurance that involves effort and a struggle, a continued race. But wonderfully, as it is with God's word, it doesn't just leave us there with a blanket statement. Now, you run with endurance. It gives us indications as to how. And uh, in this verse, we have a negative example, and we have two positive examples followed by a command. And we're just going to tease that out today, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you to, to run the race to endure to the end. Realize that God has set you a race before you. And that he will be with you throughout that process. So the natural question is then, how do we run this race of endurance? As I said, these verses give us three ways. One negative and two positive examples. Look at verse 1. This is part of running this race of endurance or through endurance to run this race. You must lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You see, the writer here is using an athletic image. We saw the video this morning of, of the guy trudging and I thought that was a wonderful representation of what the Christian life is like. And the author here says, for you to run this race, you've got to lay some stuff aside. You see, the athletic contests of, of yesteryear, the athletic contests between 
AD 30 and AD 100 were quite different to ours. If you were to enter into a race, a foot race in one of these contests, you'd enter into a stadium. You would enter into the stadium with flowing robes. Beautiful, colourful, flowing robes. And as you prepare for the race, you would strip off those robes and pretty much run butt naked. You didn't want to be hindered by anything. You didn't want the robe tangling around your feet and tripping you as you ran. You didn't want the robe clinging to you in such a way that it stopped you from entering the race and attaining the goal. So that's why the writer tells us that you need to lay aside these weights and these hindrances and these things that will impede you. Nothing should hinder your progress. You see, in relation to the Christian life, here we're instructed, like the athletes of old, in the same way, if we review our lives and we're not running, running well, we need to do a self-examination. We need to examine ourselves and find out what is hindering us. And in the context here, what sin is particularly hindering us. What sin is ensnaring us or obstructing us in our race. Recently I've been doing quite a lot of reading and, and some of the reading I've been doing of, is of past, what I would say, giants. Some of the, the Puritans that their catch cry would be this. You need to hate sin. You need to flee from sin. You need to cast sin aside. All in the power of the grace of God. I don't know if we have that holy hatred for sin. I don't know if you have that holy hatred for sin that we should. Because sin will trip. Sin will enslave. Sin will snare you and make you ineffective in running the race for him. You see, this verse doesn't tell us what the sin is. There, there are three possibilities here. There, I think probably contextually, where Hebrews 12 is placed straight after the great chapter of faith, sin could here be just unfaithfulness. It also could be just personal sin or it could be general sin. Whatever the sin may be, the passage is clear though, you must run well, you need to set that stuff aside. It's interesting, John Bunyan, you know, the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he, um, he said, uh, sin comes in two ways. Through the air gate, through the eye gate. In 1 John, we read that we are tempted in three ways consistently. 1 John 2 tells us that we are tempted through the desires of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. You think about the great temptations in the Bible, you think about Eve. She gave into all three, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The desires of the flesh, oh, the apple looks great, it will satisfy. The lust of the eyes, did God really say you couldn't eat that from that particular tree? The pride of life, oh, if you eat from that you'll be like God. You think about the temptation of Jesus by the devil, the same strategy was used. His strategies are not new. Hunger, bread, kingdoms, all you can have, worship. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You know, this passage points us to the fact that this is something we have to wrestle with whether you're a Christian or you're not. As Christians, we wrestle with this. Even though our sin has been forgiven, even though we have a perfect standing before a holy God, we know day in, day out, we wrestle with the things that can ensnare us, wrestle with the things that can trip us up in being faithful to him. Puritans would say you have to hate sin with a holy hatred and run from this sin. Joseph, prime example, was he not? What did he do when the lust of the flesh was flaunted before him? He ran. A wonderful example. Man, since it's Father's Day, I just want to speak a few minutes to you about fleeing from sin. You know, you probably could put the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life into girls, glamour and gold. And conversely, the ladies amongst you, you could probably put those three sin temptations into men, makeup and money. Right, but guys, I just want to especially focus on the lust of the flesh because out of all these temptations, this is the greatest for us in today's culture. But I'm asking you to think about this seriously. So you may have a weak spot in in this area of your life. You're probably not about to commit adultery, but you know that your eyes stray easily. You know, you you push the boundaries. And what you watch on TV and at the movies... You click the mouse or go onto your smartphone and and you go onto the places on the internet that you don't want anyone to know about. 
You play in your mind with fantasies that are blatantly immoral. And you try to reason with yourself, hey, this is all under control. It's only really a fantasy after all. But I want to warn you, fellas. I want to warn you. It is difficult, extremely difficult to think you can easily draw a line and stop there. Sin is enticing. Sin will play with your heart, with your emotions, with your desire, and when you give birth to sin, it leads to death. Jesus said that sin in the mind is exactly where marital unfaithfulness begins. So he said through the Beatitudes. In fact, Jesus said it is marital unfaithfulness because it's adultery of the heart. So what happens there is you place something in your heart other than Christ. And many of you know that such heart sin gets a grip on you and you can't shake it off. I'm here to offer you hope. Because you can. As the Bible tells me that there's no temptation that has seized us that we cannot overcome through the power of the gospel in your life. Through the shaping of the Holy Spirit to to deal with that sin in your heart, to replace the desires with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and God's grace. It requires confession. It requires repentance. It requires a contrite heart. But the Spirit can change you and you release you from that burden because sin entangles, it trips you up, it ensnares you, it makes you ineffective in running the race. So let's deal with it. Let's deal with it individually before the Lord, collectively as a community. Ladies, it may be the, the vanity that comes with looking good maybe the vanity of that type of approach that draws you away from the inward beauty that God is trying to work in your heart with don't be given into the images of the world and what beauty is when it comes to what you see the eye gate be constrained by what God says and the inward and quiet spirit that is developed by the Spirit of God in your heart. Let's collectively deal and have a holy hatred for the things of the flesh, for the lust of the eyes, and for the pride of life. The question for you as we just talk through this. So what is 
What is it in your life that keeps you from running the race? What is it that stops you from enduring along this race of life? What sin do you need to set aside? What sin, as the old Puritans used to say, do you need to mortify? Do you need to crucify? See, to run this race, you must set stuff aside. And you can only set it aside through the power of the risen Saviour and the Gospel. So that's the first example. That's the negative example. Then we have a positive example of what it means to run the race. If you, you go to the start of verse 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's a positive example. The great cloud of witnesses here refers clearly to chapter 11. Have a read through chapter 11 this week and see these wonderful men and women of faith who uh, exemplify what having faith in a sovereign God is. You know, you've got Abel, you've got Enoch, you've got Abraham, Noah, Sarah, a whole list. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. And then just to, to round it off, because he doesn't want to make this a completely exhaustive list, he says this in verse 32, And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets. There's really no one in the Old Testament left out when you start looking at that list. Who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back the dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of the whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. But apart from us, they should be made perfect. The great cloud of witnesses is this great cloud of halls of faith. All these characters witness and bore to the testament that God was faithful in whatever circumstance. You see, the author's focus here is, is on the importance of current believers upon you and I learning from those who have gone before. theologian by the name of Moffat said it's what we see in them what we study about them not what they see in us that is the writer's main point let me just um, give you a no, I won't give you an example I still will give you an example a brief example the life of Elijah a prophet of old right you're probably really familiar with, with uh, the miracles that God did through Elijah in 1 Kings but maybe, you know, sort of like me, it's been a while since you've read the story. Well, one day the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. You see, it's interesting because this city which God was directing um, Elijah to was 
the place where Ahab was. And Ahab hated Elijah. Ahab hated God. Ahab had been searching for Elijah. But for Elijah, God's command was a real test of faith. And the prophet needed to learn his lesson quickly. To follow the Lord by faith is to do so without succumbing to the fear of the cost. That's what Elijah did. He went the hundred miles for the journey. He came across the widow. The widow says, I have nothing. I've got a few sticks. I'm about to go home and last my, bake my last meal. And then I'm going to die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. And as you do, make a loaf of bread for me first. Because God has told me that the oil and the flour will never run out. Elijah took God at his word. He trusted fully what Elijah had said to him. So we can look at these great cloud of witnesses and we can learn from them and how they consistently look to God. Yes, they failed. Yes, they stumbled. Yes, they were enslaved by sin. Just look at the life of David. But they still testified to God's faith and they ran the race. So we have a negative example, deal with sin. We have a positive example, look to those who have walked the walk and talked the talk. But above all, verse 2, Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. <coughs> this verse tells us that the source of our faith is Jesus and the model of our faith is Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. When we run this race, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he endured the cross. Have you thought about that? His amazing love to take your sin upon his shoulders so that you could have life. And he did it joyfully. Don't miss that beautiful little word. The founder and perfecter of faith for the joy that was set before him, <coughs> endured the cross. He rejoiced in the cross. Why? Because your and my sin could be atoned for. He despised the shame of the cross, the humiliation of death, the scourging, the smocking, the accusations. Why? So he could provide salvation for you and I. Eternal salvation. Done and dusted. Because the verse tells us that he now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The job is done. Sin is dealt with. We can have relationship with the author of the universe because of Christ's saving work on the cross. You may be here, you may not know Jesus. You may not know the joy of having your sins forgiven. 
You may not know the way of salvation, the way of eternal life. I'm compelled to tell you today that way is through Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, we're all under a sentence of death. The wages of sin is death. Who pays the wages? Sin. What is the result? Death. Every one of us die. That's how we know we're under the the curse of death. That's how we know we are removed from our Creator. But our loving, gracious Creator has provided a way of salvation. And it's through the cross. Jesus has paid your and my debt. Not only that, he's given you his righteousness. And that comes by faith. It comes by faith and trust in his work and in his person. There is no other way of salvation. Let's proclaim that, folks, for those of you who know it. For those of you who don't experience that personal relationship with Christ, I challenge you. Think and consider about Christ. So we've seen to run the race of endurance, you need to, as a Christian, you need to deal seriously with sin. You need to look back at those who have been faithful in the past. Above all, you need to look to Jesus because notice that he is the author and perfecter of faith. He's the one that grants faith. He's the one that gives you the endurance to carry on. Why? Because he did. He was the example of faith. He was the model of faith. He left the glories of the throne above to come in faith to die on our behalf. And in verse 3 is, is beautiful. It says, it reinforces this idea. Now consider him. Consider him who endured for sinners, from sinners such hostility against himself. So consider what he did on your behalf. Consider this hostility. And this should be the motivating factor in your heart to not grow weary, to not lose heart, to not be faint-hearted. If you're disillusioned, if you're discouraged, if you're struggling with those things, folks, consider Jesus and the power of his gospel in your life. I'm going to read something which um, has deeply impacted me over the last couple of weeks. I tend to try and write things down like that, so I never forget them. I don't try and tend to memorize them. But in this whole area of considering Jesus, let me just read this. This is a guy by the name of Nettleton. He was born in 1783. This is from one of his sermons. Behold his agony and his sweat, as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. See the multitude with swords and staves assembling to take him. See him betrayed with a kiss, forsaken by all his disciples, led forth to his trial, condemned, scourged, and spat upon. See him taken by soldiers and dragged into the common hall. See him stripped and covered with a scarlet robe and crowned with thorns with a reed in his hand. See the insulting mob bow down the knee before him and pay him mock homage. 
See him lead forth bearing the, his cross, fainting under its weight. See him stretched out, his hands and feet pierced through and nailed to the accursed tree. See it raised from the ground and his body suspended between the heavens and the earth. There, brothers and sisters, hangs our Redeemer. There we can see our sins, what our sins have done and what we deserve. This is our Saviour whom we profess to love. Shall we crucify him again by giving him to sin? No. Rather, let's crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. Let us call to mind our solemn obligations. It's a man who looked unto Jesus. So I've read this. My encouragement for you this week is how are you going to choose to run? How will you choose to run the race? If you're a Christian, how are you going to deal with the sin that you know is entrapping you? How will you look to the past faithful servants of God and past faithful runners to encourage you? But above all, look to Jesus, who is your example of faith. If you don't know Christ, the same question is, what are you going to do with eternal life? The offer of salvation through Christ. If you want to talk about that, come and see us. Come and see one of the pastors. We'd be loving, we'd love just to explain the way of salvation. I invite the music team to come up now as we, we sing a couple of closing songs. Let's run the race of endurance, folks. Let's run it in the power of the Spirit for God's glory.